The Billboard Hot 100 chart has existed in its current form since 1958. During that time, over 1,100 songs have hit number one, and we're sure you can name plenty of them. Hitting number one is great, but fewer people can say they've achieved something truly unique on the Billboard charts. No artist other than Kid Cudi, whose beautiful trip runs 37 seconds, can say that he's had the shortest song ever on the Hot 100. The record for the longest Hot 100 entry is not American Pie or All Too Well 10-minute version, but Tool's Fear Inoculum, which runs 10 minutes, 12 seconds. The only artist with a 30-year gap between number ones is Cher. Only one artist, Q Sakamoto, has ever hit number one with a song in Japanese. Prince and Britney Spears share the honor of the shortest song title, seven for Prince and three for Britney. Don't ask me about the longest song title, it's complicated. Today's band holds a record that we don't expect to see broken in our lifetimes. Longest song title consisting of only one letter. Yes, it's that humming song by the guy with the low voice. Today on Hidden Jukebox, mm 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 the 1993 hit by Crash Test Dummies. Okay, I've, yep. got, I've got three things to say. Well, oh, two, okay. two things in one question. Let's get into it. First off, uh, this is my favorite intro that you've ever written for this show. Oh, thank you. I, I would not have gone this direction. I absolutely love it. <laughs> Second, I found this week when people were asking what we're doing this month on the show that I cannot say mm, 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 and make it sound serious or make anybody go, oh, yeah, I love that song. Like, no. it, it just it doesn't work. Like, you've got to go that Crash Test Dummy song from the 90s. Yeah, no, it sounds it sounds like you're like, mm, 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 or mm, 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 mm. Yeah. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> and my question, you can't say uh it's complicated and just leave it at that. Okay. So, the longest song title ever to hit the Billboard charts was by a novelty band that did a Beatles medley and put all of the Beatles song titles into the title of the medley, so it's like 100 words long. This is this is another example of <laughs> Apparently, in my 25-plus years of playing music, I've been doing something wrong. Because uh, if that's all it took to get onto the Billboard charts... I think this was in, like, the 60s. The Beatles started in the 60s. Yeah, I know. <laughs> okay. But I don't, think you can, I don't think you can use the same strategy as either the Beatles or this novelty act whose name I don't remember. I, I'm going to string together songs by Black Eyed Peas or... Um, I, Cotton Eye Joe. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, that was that's the not the band. band. That's the name of the song. <laughs> have, have you seen the, the Unsolved Mysteries meme about Cotton Eye Joe? No. Next week on Unsolved Mysteries, Cotton Eye Joe. Where did he come from? Where did he go? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I, I'm worried that I have very little to say about this song, even though I like it, because it's a very straightforward song, and really the, the guy's wacky voice is the main thing that I want to talk about. That's fine, because I feel like I have a lot to talk okay, about with great. this song. Um, first off, this song was picked by us because my friend Jeremy Elliott, a.k.a. Jerry Nice, shout out to Jeremy, um, is a big fan of the show. He's a phenomenal musician, and when he came to me and said, you know what song or album you should really do, I had a list of about 30 that I'm like, well, it's going to be one of these, and this is what he said, and I'm like, I'm not sure I've ever heard that entire album. 
I'm not sure we ever would have picked that song. Yeah, no, it's a good pick. It's a good pick. And I went back and listened to the album. And I've got to say, to me, the the last third of the album, like like if it was on record, maybe the second side, it kind of falls off. But the first six to seven songs, really well written, really well produced. Yeah. And this this album was really well received when it came out. Like Like critics loved it. It sold six million copies. Yeah. Um, like, <laughs> despite it, having one of the worst album covers ever, it's it's like they they <laughs> it's literally so ridiculous. They literally took a Renaissance painting <laughs> and put their faces on it. Yeah, that's and, it. And like, it's a bad Photoshop job. Yeah, like really, really bad. <laughs> but I'm not even sure it was a joke. I think they're like, you know, it would be a good idea putting our faces on a Renaissance painting. Yeah, <laughs> doesn't work for me. Um, but the thing that I want to talk about more than anything, and we'll get into the song itself, um, is the fact that this song was so well received and so popular and now consistently makes lists of, of the worst songs ever written or ever released. Yeah, that's interesting. I wonder, like, is it what what makes people say that cuz i don't think it's a bad song like is it is it that the they think they didn't bother to write a chorus or that the name is funny or that they just think the guy's voice is um, hard to listen to i don't know because like at first i was like yeah it's it's not the greatest song but then i started thinking about other songs that i thought were terrible from that cotton eyed joe that era. for example yeah and, and that probably makes the lists, but uh, I put together a list of uh, some of the other. Oh, okay. Uh, n- not just worst songs of the '90s, but like like a lot of them are '90s songs. Uh, Achy Breaky Heart, Ice Ice Baby, What's Up, Barbie Girl, Rockstar, which is not '90s, but that's a uh, Nickelback. Okay. Nookie. Uh huh. Thong song. Who let the dogs out? And if you did not listen to or watch this, okay, there is a not. song called Mr. Blobby by a band called Mr. Blobby, which is apparently a Christmas song. So I looked this up and holy shit, it's it's like an acid trip Barney kind of kid song. Right. And it's an earworm. And it is it is literally the worst thing I've ever heard. In my OK, life. so I think Mr. Blobby is like a children's TV character in England. Okay. So I think that's probably related, but I will I will check this out. Speaking of Nickelback, and I promise we'll get back to Crash Test Dummies, but have you seen or heard about the new Nickelback video, uh, San Quentin? No. <laughs> the uh, the thing that is so funny about it, and like I love how I love how Nickel Nickelback is just like always so like consistently tone deaf, is um, that uh, it is the premise of the video is that Nickelback is giving a free song on campus, and all these college girls are so horny for Nickelback. <laughs> Wait a minute. I laughed so hard. Wait a minute. I, I figured when you said San Quentin, it was like a prison song or it, something. So it's about how he doesn't want to go to prison, which is also like, uh, you know, not really a good look. But oh it, God. <laughs> everything about it is wrong. Like, I feel like Nickelback just never disappoints in being like, like more stupid than you thought Nickelback was. And I, God bless him for it. I think years ago, 
they realized that they were kind of like this joke band that everybody says that they hate. And they're like, we're going to embrace this thing and we're going to ride it out. Okay, so I'm glad you said that because I think that illustrates why this song uh, was a hit. Because when I went back and listened to it and really listened, like I'm sure if you haven't listened to this song in a while, you remember the guy having a a wacky voice, right? But it is so much weirder than you remember. The and song itself, you mean? The 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 vocal. Okay. So the, the song itself is pretty straightforward. The vocal is wild. So it's not just that he has a low voice, which he does. He's a bass baritone. But that he leans into just every possible affectation that he could apply, like, you know, weird vowels and, like, uh, vocal fry and just, like, goes for it 110%. And... I think that is like more so than anything else about the song. We'll get into the storytelling, but like, you know, people like a weird voice that is frankly weird. And, and you know, I think the, the lesson for that is like, if you are a creative person, lean into what's weird about you. That doesn't, you know, mean that you'll necessarily succeed, but, you know, people can get normal at home. They want to hear weird. Well, I want to get into where his voice comes from, like who he could have possibly oh, I think it comes influenced from his diaphragm. By. Very, very well done. I see that you've taken lessons on yeah. this. Um, but the point that I wanted to make about all these terrible songs yeah. is you take a song like Who Let the Dogs Out and it somehow became popular, but nobody ever went, you know what my favorite song on the radio is right now? Who Let the Dogs Out? It, <laughs> That's true. Somebody did. But... Somebody, but they're, they're probably not my friend. Uh, I When this song was out, I don't feel like people were like, oh, you know, that jokey song that nobody actually likes, but is for some reason popular. Like, it doesn't seem to fit in with a list that includes like Barbie Girl and Nookie and Thong Song. Like, it's not that type of song at all where it's like, well, obviously this is kind of funny, but, you know, it's catchy. Right. No, and it's and the lyrics are pretty serious. Oh, really serious. Like, like it's kind of this... uh, you know, growing up awkward type type of thing where where it's like, how do you overcome adversity as a elementary middle schooler, right? right. Um, which let's get into the meat of the song okay, really quick. Yeah. So, one of the things that I said that's that's really interesting about the song is it's like one of the only songs that I could ever remember where the verses are more singable than the choruses. Yeah. Like, you can really... It's storytelling. So I remember hearing this song on MTV, and because the video is so visual, weird but visual, I memorized the lyrics to this really fast because it was like memorizing a story, like a fairy tale. And I... So I think this... Do you remember... Oh, October 1st. So I had just started college and was not watching MTV anymore. And I picked up the lyrics instantly also and still remembered all of them, except maybe the the bridge, uh, like, you know, many, many years later. Which is funny because the bridge is like, I don't know, four bars and has two lines. It's like the easiest part of the song to remember. I, I'd sort of forgotten it was even there. <laughs> like... Both boy and girl were glad because one kid had it worse than that. Yeah. That's it. That's that's the whole bridge. Um, this song is really catchy. Like it is. Like the the uh, ver- the chorus is just this minor arpeggio done over and over again. I was talking to my bandmate Whitney last night, and 
uh, I was like, do you remember this song? She just turned 35, so she's a little bit younger. Uh-huh. And she's like, I don't know. And then she started listening to it, and, and it got to the chorus. She's like, oh, I know this song. I'm like, oh, yeah? Did you just uh, forget how the lyrics to the chorus go? <laughs> did And then did she bust out singing it in the original key? Because I would like to hear that. Uh, she's got quite a range. Mm-hmm. Um so, so no, me too. I've been going around like all week. Going, Once there was this kid who <laughs> actually M- Matthew did his usual thing, did a recording of this song. It wasn't that bad. Mm-hmm. I ex- this is not your range at all. Not I, at all. And I expect it to be bad. It was pretty good. Thanks. So so getting back to Brad Roberts, the lead singer of this band. Yeah, we should and, give him a name. And and how how he really leans into his bass baritone vocal inflection thing. The only person that really came to mind, which they came up pretty much at the exact same time as uh-huh. Crash Test Dummies, was Stephen Merritt um, from uh, Magnetic Fields. Yep. And very similar type of vocal range, doesn't go out of that vocal range, like doesn't have songs where it's like, oh, he's really trying to reach up or reach lower. Although I did read that like on a later Crash Test Dummies album. He did a lot of falsetto. I didn't. I didn't go and listen to that. I I didn't either. And that sounds really really bad. I don't know. Um, but like, where is he? His own thing. Like, like, where did this sound come from? <laughs> Was he influenced by that the uh, bass guy and the Oak Ridge Boys? <laughs> uh, <laughs> very very similar sounds. No. Um, I was thinking maybe Leonard Cohen. Yeah. Sure. Um, and even the songwriting is a little bit like that. Like, this is not a four chord verse, four chord chorus type of song. Like, a lot of the the chord changes are really interesting. Yeah, you, you mentioned that uh, it seems like there's this extra bar of two before before the, the pre-chorus. Yeah, and and I was counting it that way, and I was like, no, that's not right. It's just that that he like sits on it and comes back in like halfway through the bar. Yeah, it's it's really interesting the way that they write songs. It's interesting that one of the band members, the keyboardist is a female singer who does not have a low voice at all, and it works in this really nice contrast. I remembered this song, which I hadn't listened to in ages, at some point having a, like, choir section in it for some reason. Yeah, I know what you mean. And a string section, and I went back and listened to it, and it doesn't really. It's just that they create a really rough sound. there are strings or synth strings. Maybe at the end, at but, the end, but there's yeah. no choir. It's just no, that they sing yeah. really well together. Yeah, and I think like there is a particular kind of like early 90s vocal effect that uh, that's going on to those uh, those backing vocals, like a you know an exciter or something. It's possible, and they really milk that at the yes. end of the song, yep. which which I love the outro of this song because they go yeah, back to great. to the uh, bridge chord changes, which, like I said, the bridge is only like four bars, but they do this outro over the bridge chord changes, and it's really lush and pretty and. And like works as a fade out for the song. I would say it's it's very cinematic. Like you could easily see that being used as like uh, you know a music cue for like you know now we're like soaring over like you know we've had our adventure now we're like you know zooming out and we see like the Irish village where it all happened or something. <laughs> it does kind of <laughs> right. Yeah, it it kind of like brings about these images of like old time Europe or something. You know what it is? It's a little bit Enya like. <laughs> I'm serious. 
I know you're serious, but I feel like you'd say that to the Crash SOEs. They'd be like, oh, thanks, asshole. I, I don't know. I think I feel like Enya is like we, we've come around on Enya. <laughs> Who's we? <laughs> I don't know. Like like, uh, you know, skeptical jerks like us. <laughs> Enya's listening to this right now. Go. How dare you? How dare you? Like, like I've learned to go with the Orinoco flow, is what I'm saying. You know, Enya technically falls into the same category as this song. So one of the <laughs> in things... What, I, in what sense? What, one of the things I discovered uh, in researching this episode is this was played a lot on a radio format called Adult Album-Oriented Alternative Rock. Oh, yeah, AAA. A, a, AAA. I just figured there was adult contemporary, which we've talked about on this show before. There were alternative stations. There were kind of these combo stations where it was like, eh, this is alternative music, but we think that it appeals to more of an adult right. audience. And there was, it, it was kind of like, let's throw anything under the sun at this and see what sticks. So, no, like, the format was a lot of different genres of music. Right. And so this this song, it doesn't, like, rock so hard that they can't put it on, like, a dentist office channel. But it's not, you know, it has, like, a little bit of indie cred to it so they can play it on, on you know, K-Rock or whatever. You don't right? listen to this and think it's a little bit elevator music nowadays? I, I do, but... I, I, yeah, I don't know. Like, I think they would still play it as like a throwback track, you know, on, you know, when they're doing like a nostalgia weekend on, on uh, whatever. What's the, what's the alternative channel and uh, station in, in Seattle? The 1077. Yeah. Uh, I've not heard this song on that, that station in a very long time, but to be fair, I don't listen to that yeah, station. Yeah, I don't, I don't either. Anymore. I bet they've played it. I, I was having this conversation the other day about how, uh, there are classic rock stations in just about every city in this country. And then there's alternative slash modern rock radio like 1077. But you listen to those stations and they're almost classic rock stations on their own. Oh, yeah, absolutely. They play one new song and then they play 10 songs that are like Nirvana, Soundgarden, like like things that came out at least 20 years ago. And then they come around to another new song. And it's kind of like one of these things is not like the other. Yeah. So uh, Crash Test Tummies, they're from Winnipeg, Manitoba. And I was just in Calgary. And in Calgary, they have the Canadian National Music Center, also called Studio Bell. Um, and it is one of the best museums that I've ever been to. No kidding. Yeah. So – you know, part of what you know, they've got they've got a lot of like cool like like vintage synths and like you know important uh, instruments from Canadian music history. But the thing I liked about it so much is that it is only focused on Canadian music, and Canada's pretty small country that's produced some really good bands. A lot of really good bands. And so, and if you so if you have a favorite Canadian band, they will probably be found somewhere at the Canadian National it, Music Center. Is there an entire wing uh, dedicated to the tragically hip? There most certainly is, yes. <laughs> um, so uh, when when I was in Canada, like, I, I don't think, like, I don't really understand because I'm not from Canada, but, like, the, like, I'm sort of starting to get an idea of, like, how important the, the tragically hip were to Canadian culture because when we were there, I was in a browsing in a bookstore and uh, I, I picked up a book called, like, 10 Days That Defined Canadian History or 10 Days That Changed Canada, and one of them was The Tragically Hip's Last Concert. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah. It, it was it was enormous. Like you don't go to Canada and badmouth the tragically hit. No, you'll, I would you'll, never. You'll probably get stoned to death. No, there was a there was a Sloan that had a little a little uh, you know section in this yep. museum. Like it was it was so great. My favorite thing in the whole museum was uh, a guy like there was a section of like handwritten or like hand typed essays just about like you know what Canadian music means to me. And one of them was a was by a guy whose friend was a roadie and invited him one day to watch Rush sound check at the Saddle Dome in Calgary yes. and just like it was the best day of his life. <laughs> um, well, one of the interesting things about this song and uh, its popularity in Canada is it wasn't very popular in Canada. Right. Like there are other Crash Test Dummy songs that are much better known in Canada. Um, their most popular song in Canada was off of the album previous to this, Superman's song, which okay. was re- released later in the United States after this became a hit. Which is not that song that goes, I'm no Superman, right? Um, no, it's not. It's Superman never made any money saving the world from Solomon Grundy. <laughs> Oh, I have heard that. Uh, Tarzan wasn't a ladies' man. He'd just come yeah. along and scoop him up under his arm like that. <laughs> Great, good, oh, good lyric writing. Oh my god, it's it's so good. <laughs> hey Bob, Soup had a straight job, even though he could have smashed through any bank in the United States. These lyrics are amazing. Did he call Superman Soup? Yes, he did. Yeah, that's, he that's he certainly a pretty did. Pretty good nickname. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so they they were and still are big in Canada. They yeah. they broke up for a while. They got back together. They still perform four out of five of the same members, um, and I doubt they could really tour the U.S. unless it was on one of those five-band bills, and they were, like, first at a small oh, sure. amphitheater. Who, yeah, who else would be on this? <laughs> We've had this conversation okay. before. It's, it's like uh, Counting Crows would be headlining. Absolutely, Blues yes. Traveler would be on it. Uh, Big Head Todd and the Monsters. Um, what's that? Rusted Root? Could Rusted uh, Root be involved? <laughs> not not my favorite band. <laughs> I know. That's why I always love bringing, it up, bringing I, them up. I, I don't know if I've mentioned this before, but I was in Atlanta at the end of April, and I met this couple from Reno, and they'd lived in Reno their entire lives. And I'm like... Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm not a big fan of Reno. And they're both like, oh, we absolutely hate Reno. I'm like, why do you live there? They're like, well, our kids are there and our jobs are there. We can't leave. I'm like, I feel like Reno is one of those places that like you don't get any concerts except Matchbox 20 and Counting Crows. And the the woman literally goes, oh, my God, I just saw Matchbox 20 with Counting Crows a few weeks ago. Okay, um, <laughs> last night, and don't ask me to explain why, because uh, I have no answer, uh, Lori and I watched the uh, 2002 Scooby-Doo movie. What? <laughs> hey, was, we have nothing better to do tonight. It was on It was on Netflix, that's why. And, uh, and at one point, there's a band in the movie, and I'm like, that band is definitely either Matchbox 20 or Sugar Ray. It was Sugar Ray. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and it's funny because Sugar Ray wasn't really popular in 2002 so their labels probably say they're going god how do we make this band any more money in ourselves any more money Uh, let's pitch them to the Scooby-Doo producers and see if they'll put them in the movie yeah what I will say about that movie not predictable Not not what I thought your first comment was going to be about that movie. Lots of twists and turns. It, was it that you didn't see that it was going to be Mr. Dithers from the amusement park at the end? It was not Old Man Smithers. <laughs> um, all right. So uh, anything else to say about uh, uh, 
Um, the the one other thing that I, I noticed is this is also produced by Jerry Harrison from the Talking Heads, who oh, yeah. produced Live Throwing Copper. They have somewhat similar qualities in terms of their production, and really my takeaway from it is he is a fantastic producer. Oh yeah, this this uh, the song sounds huge. Yeah, and and most of the album sounds huge and. Uh, my my friend Jeremy was right. It's a very very well produced album. Yeah, still not one of my favorites. Sorry, man, but you know it was it was a very good topic for this show, in my opinion. No, but I I enjoyed the song. I was like walking down the street earlier today listening to it. I'm like, this is kind of a good soundtrack for anything. Yep, yep. All right, what are you listening to, Jake? Well, there's new Arctic Monkeys album out, which is a little slow and weird. I've listened to it a bunch of times. I think I like it. I It's like the last album where I think it's going to grow on me. Yep. I already bought tickets to their show next September. Okay. Uh, partially because Fontaine's DC are opening up. There's a new Yeah, Yeah, Yeah's album, which is very good. Very, very good. They have not lost anything at all. Um, I want to mention a local band called yeah. Citrus. They just put out their first album called Concentrate. These guys <laughs> these like guys it. are in their mid-20s, and I've seen them probably five times, and they are the band that I would have killed to be in in my mid-20s. They're awesome. like an eight-piece groove band, and they do a little bit of everything. They've got a saxophone player. They've got three keyboard players. Wow. They okay. switch instruments like mm-hmm. over and over again throughout the show. Like Sloan. And and they'll do like half an hour of instrumental music. And you'll go, okay, and it's, it's an instrumental band. And then the lead guitarist who's phenomenal on guitar will, will get up and start singing. You're like, he's probably not going to be very good since they're an instrumental band. And he's phenomenal. That's great. Like, okay, the, I'll check this out. The, they're great. They're a little jammy, but the album is well produced, and it's produced by the guitarist lead singer. I've just like gotten more and more tolerance for jams as I've gotten older. I I like to uh, think that has something to do with me, but I, I think so. Like, and you'd think jams would be more of like a young person's game. Uh, no, no, not not in this day and age. You <laughs> okay. go to a fish show, and it's like all yeah, forty fair. to sixty year olds. Um. And then there's this Aussie you go to psych a dead, rock band. dead and company show and all of the audience is actually dead. Yeah. Oh, very much so. Um, and uh, I started listening to this band called Mild Life, which is. Oh, I a, read this as midlife. OK, Mild Life. This is funny because my friends and I have been listening to this band for about six months and all thought that it was called Midlife for six months. And they were just here a couple weeks ago. And one of my friends bought a shirt, and I'm like, <laughs> "They misspelled the shirt." No, I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, does anybody else realize that this band is actually called Mild Life? <laughs> um, are you going to the uh, Mild Life and Mid Lake show? <laughs> no, I'm going to the Mid Life and Mild Lake okay. show. Um, they're a little Floyd, a little Tame Impala, a little their own thing. They're really, really talented, really, really fascinating band. And if you're into that Aussie psych rock sound, they, they nail it. And they're small enough now that you can see them at small clubs and don't have to go to an arena or an amphitheater to see them. Okay. I also have three picks, and I'll make it quick. Uh, the new Titus Andronicus album, The Will to Live, fucking rocks. Um, it is... 
you know, I say that because there is one like seven minute epic song called An Anomaly that's about like the, uh, you know, ages old battle between God and the devil that is like funny, but also incredibly catchy. Um, and uh, but there are also like a ton of other good songs on it, I think is their best album since The Monitor, um, The Will to Live, Titus Andronicus, Punk Rock. Uh, Open Mike Eagle has a new LP. Open Mike Eagle like is always good. Uh, this one is called Component System with the Auto Reverse, and I was listening listening along like yeah, this is this is a good Open Mike Eagle album. And then got to this verse that made me laugh so hard, and I'm going to read it to you. Yeah, I'm Chief Kaniski. I know all your secret history. You got a playlist called Read the Mint Leaves. I listened, and it was all me and Mitski. <laughs> I believe Open Mike Eagle and Mitski are actually friends, but whether or not, it's great. Topical. Yes. And um, breaking news, uh, Steady Holiday, one of my favorite bands or possibly solo artists, depending on how you define that sort of thing, uh, has a new album coming out in February. And the first single drops tomorrow, November 2nd, if you're listening to the show the day it comes out. Um, it is great. Uh, do I remember the name of the single? No, but I'm going to look it up. Steady Holiday's new single is called Can't Find a Way. And the thing I loved about this song is I started listening to it. And I'm like, OK, this is kind of repetitive and the lyrics are very on the nose, like I'm not I'm not sure if this one is for me. And then like about halfway through the song, I'm like, oh, I'm going to be singing this nonstop for the next several days. And then the bridge is just like, you know, it's got a chord progression that like takes you and like grabs you by the chest. Nice. I can't wait for this. OK, question before we check out here. Um, I hate it when I feel out of the loop. Who is the band Botch? I have no idea. So Botch just announced no tour Two shows at the Showbox here in Seattle, which holds 1,100 people, and half of my friends on Facebook freaked out the second this this got announced. Holy shit, holy shit, I can't believe that this is actually happening, and apparently both shows sold out in 15 seconds, and I'm sitting there going, who? Um, are, when you when one of your friends like uh, you know comes along wearing the shirt, is that when you're going to realize the band's actually called Biatch? Um, <laughs> I wish I uh, have never heard of this band and and just have no idea at all. Now, now I I have to go and listen to them, which I haven't done yet. But like, <laughs> what did you do? I think it's your watch. Oh, my watch is always talking to me. Um, yeah, so I've got to go check out Botch, and I hope that somebody listening to this isn't like, all right. I'm done listening to these guys. They don't even know who Botch are. Um, yeah, I guess so. Are you sure it's not Bosch um, and they do the music for the uh, Amazon Prime detective series for dads? Is is that what how this all works? Is that anytime you don't know the name of a band that, that, that does a theme song, the name of the band is the name of the show? <laughs> yeah, I think so. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Have you, yeah, have you heard the new Breaking Bad single? Yeah. Uh, all right, I put I put on some here some ideas for what we'll do next month, but we'll talk about that off air. Uh, Jake, where can the people find us? Uh, you can find us at hiddenjukebox.com, facebook.com slash hiddenjukebox, instagram.com slash jukeboxhidden on all of your favorite streaming podcast platforms. Uh, tell your friends, and until next time, I'm Jake Amster. And I'm Matthew Amster Burton. Mm. <laughs> <laughs>